Thank you, Heather. I appreciate that. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter number one tonight. Luke chapter number one. Pride is a curious thing. Pride is one of those things that you don't ever have to wonder if you're walking in pride. In some way, shape, or form, you are. You don't have to try to be prideful in order to be a proud person. Understand the nature of pride. You were born in pride. You live in pride, and you will die in pride. Pride is our human nature. In our pride, we can really begin to think that we're somebody. If you think that you're somebody or you think that you're something, tonight I want to introduce you to a man who Jesus of Nazareth said was the greatest born of women. You see, this man, he never wrote a book of the Bible. He's not listed in Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Fame of Faith. This man's ministry seemed to last less than a year. This man was hated by the civil leaders, hated by the religious leaders. But yet Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, said, this man is the greatest prophet born of woman. And then in a separate occasion, he said, this is the greatest born of women. You see, you may be the greatest musician in your high school band class, but you're not the greatest musician on earth. You may be the greatest mathematician in your junior high math class. You're not the greatest mathematician on earth. You may be the greatest preacher in your preacher boy class. Luis, you're not the greatest preacher on earth. Not only are you not the greatest preacher or mathematician or anything on earth, you're certainly not the greatest one that has ever lived. And Jesus Christ refers to a man as the greatest born among women. Here's what that means. That means anything that is written about this guy in the Gospels, there's nothing in his life that we cannot glean great wisdom from, even in the area where he was weak. Because in this man's, understand, in this man's weakest moments, he was likely stronger than us in our strongest moments. That is how great this man was. We are so incapable of understanding God. If God did not come to us, if God did not give us a book, we, we could not understand God. Uh, we have no ability in ourselves to understand probably or even to really explain God for who he really is. He came down to us in the person of Christ. He gave us a book. And even in these things that he did for us, even in the things that he said to us in the scriptures, even those things we look at and they're so contrary to our, our, our nature. They're so contrary to our opinion. And then through the grace of God, he saved us and we receive Christ as our savior. We have God living inside of us. And now we have a glimpse of what God is like. But understand, as a mortal man, we can't understand God, really. I believe in God, uh, because not to believe in God would make you a fool. I trust God. I try to trust God, because to not trust God would mean you trust yourself. 
Uh, the only way to even begin to understand God is through the God-man, Christ Jesus. But tonight, my problem isn't that I struggle to understand God the way I, that I want to. I don't think anybody really can the way that God really is. My, my struggle isn't that I can't understand God the way that I want to. My problem, I can't even understand the greatest of regular human beings in compared to who my nature really is. You see, I hear somebody like Paul say things like, I will glory in my infirmities. And I think to myself, how? I hear people like Stephen with rocks being crushed against his skull, broken down, bleeding from every part of his body, his body being crushed under rocks and boulders. And I hear Stephen say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And, and I think to myself, how? How does he do that? I, I, I read stories of Job in the Bible and all that that man went through and all that he endured. And the Bible says, in all this, he sinned not with his mouth, nor charged God foolishly. And I think to myself, man, I can't understand God. I can't even understand Job. My problem isn't that I can't understand God. My problem, I can't even understand the greatest of human beings, regular people that have lived and died. I feel like sometimes they're so far from me, we're just on different spheres. We are so different than the godliest of people in the Bible that it's honestly, it's not even funny. In many ways, we are closer to the criminals of Scripture than we are to the Bible heroes of Scripture. You see, I want to be a Job, but I'm usually one of Job's friends, if I'm honest with you. I want to be a Paul, but honestly, I'm usually a Demas. I want to be an Abel, but man, I got a lot of Cain living inside of me. You read your Bible, you begin to look at all the bad people in the Bible, Barabbas or Pilate or Lot or Cain, and you don't have to look very far into their lives and see yourself. I mean, there are striking similarities between you and them. And even all the heroes of Scripture. You know, we relate more to the heroes of Scripture in their faults than we do their, their strengths. I mean, you can relate to Moses's, Moses getting angry more than you can to Moses' meekness. Moses was the meekest man on earth. You can't, you, that's not you. It's not me, but man, when he gets angry, that makes me feel good. Oh, at least he's like me. He's really not like me in his weakest moment, maybe. You know, we can relate to Peter when he denies the Lord, but how quickly do you relate to Peter in the speed in which he repented? Think about Peter's worst time in his entire life. And relatively speaking, it was a pretty short time. He got right with God. He stayed right with God the rest of his life. We can relate to Gideon when he's hiding. But can you relate to Gideon when he goes down in battle and the strength of God? You see, it's an interesting comparison in how of all the people in the Bible who struggled in some way, we're so quick to look at them uh, in their struggle, and we're so much closer to them in their struggle than we are them in their strength. But those same people that the Bible in the Scriptures shine brilliantly for the Lord, listen, I'm not as quick to resemble them. I want to be a Barnabas if I, if I could ever get Lot out of my life. 
I want to be an Isaac if I could ever get Esau from coming out. And tonight I want to look at the greatest man born of women, John the Baptist. Who was John the Baptist? Well, first of all, he was not an apostle. He was not the apostle John. There's a couple of Johns in Scripture. John the Baptist was John the Baptist, and the apostle John who wrote the, the Gospel of John uh, was a different man. John the Baptist's life and ministry was prophesied in the books of Isaiah and in Malachi. There are actually striking similarities between John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. First of all, uh, they shared blood. They were second cousins. Their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, were first cousins. And so John the Baptist, the significance of his life was that he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. John was a courageously bold preacher who would come as the messenger to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was preparing the way. John was sent by God to announce and prepare the world for God himself to come down and walk the dusty trails that God himself had created. You see, John the Baptist is called the voice. Jesus Christ is called the word. Both were very dedicated uh, in their callings. They both had very dedicated parents. Both of their births were announced by an angel. Both of them had miraculous births. Interestingly, neither one of them followed in the profession of their earthly fathers. Both were bold preachers who feared no man. Both were illegally arrested. Both died in the prime of their lives. John's preaching angered the civil leaders of that day, and Jesus' preaching angered the religious leaders of that day. John was an innocent man who died a martyr's death, where Jesus was an innocent man who died a Savior's death. John's disciples took the body of John and buried it, and Jesus' disciples did the same thing, took the body of Jesus and buried it. Let's look in the Bible tonight to see how great John really was. You should be in your Bible in Luke chapter number 1. Verse number five, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, that's John's father, of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Let's look at how great John's heritage was. Notice the testimony of God himself in verse six of John's parents. This is the testimony of God in verse six of John's parents, and they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the, of the Lord, don't miss this last word, blameless. These people were remarkable. These people were two of the greatest people to have ever lived, Zacharias and Elizabeth. She was barren. He, Zacharias, had prayed for his wife for many, many years. All of a sudden, while he was doing his task as a priest, the angel Gabriel visited him in verse 13. The Bible says the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Notice that prayer is singular, not prayers, prayer. The, the, the husband had a specific way in which he was praying for his wife. That prayer was answered in verse 15. It says, Thy prayer is heard. Uh, uh, thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son and shall call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Watch the description of John, verse 15. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Notice the very first description of John the Baptist from heaven to earth in verse 15. He shall be great. 
It's already hinting at the greatness of John the Baptist. But understand something, in the Old Testament, when you would have a king, a lot of times these kings in the Old Testament, they would be considered uh, as doing right in the sight of the Lord or evil in the sight of the Lord. A lot of their behavior, their, their salvation was sort of summarized based on the behavior and whether it was good or evil in the sight of the Lord. And so John is not just great. He's not great in Herod's eyes. He's not great in some president's eyes or some king's eyes. Notice who he's great in the eyes of in verse 15. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. So the very first description of John the Baptist before he was even conceived, Gabriel himself, who in verse number 19 reminds Zacharias that, hey, I stand in the presence of God. That Gabriel said of John the Baptist, he shall be great. So that tells you how great this man is going to be. Notice what else about John the Baptist in verse 15. He's a sober man. The Bible says in verse 15, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. John was sober his entire life. He didn't touch it then. If he was alive today, he wouldn't touch liquor today. He wouldn't touch anything that was legal or illegal if it would modify his thinking in any way, shape, or form. John was a completely sober-minded man. But it's interesting that that's connected to his greatness, by the way. He was great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Watch this super interesting phrase. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Now, I don't know if that means he got saved in his mother's womb. I don't really care what it means. There's a lot of cryptic phrases in the Bible, and, and I'm not even going to try to guess what was going on in the soul and the spirit of John the Baptist when he was in his mother's womb. It could simply mean that something happened when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. In verse 41, when, when Elizabeth, the mother of John, was visiting with Mary, verse 41 says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, that's John, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. There could be a connection there. This much I know. In the very first descriptive verse of John the Baptist, even before he was conceived, God is telling you how great this man is really going to be. He was an exceptional man. Notice what the Bible says in verse um, 15, he shall be great. That phrase, he shall be great, that's the first time that is ever used of a normal person in the entire Bible. Nobody else, it is said of from God, he shall be great. It says he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. But he's not the last person. Notice who he's connected to in verse number 32. This is Gabriel speaking to Mary. Notice how Gabriel describes Jesus of Nazareth in verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. Notice both of these men, these are the only two men in the entire Bible where it is said of them, he shall be great. I hope you're getting a little glimpse as to how exceptional John the Baptist really was. He's not our savior. He was very clear about that. But listen, there's a reason he is called the greatest born among women. How great was John the Baptist? Go back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 3. I want you to see something else. Of all the people that Jesus could have gone to to get baptized, it was John himself that baptized Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was getting ready to start his public ministry, but before he started his public ministry, he needed, he needed to be baptized. That's a, an example for us. Before we start our public ministry in the church, or whatever it might be, we should be biblically baptized. Jesus was baptized. Jesus wasn't baptized because he needed to get saved. He was baptized as, as a model for us. He was baptized a picture, all types of other things. But the point is, Jesus Christ, he went to John himself to be baptized. 
The Bible says in verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 3, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And notice Jesus called this baptism right. He called it a right thing to do. Verse 15, Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it now to be so, for thus, it must, for thus becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. It was a right thing for Jesus to be baptized by John. Notice what John saw in verse 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Of all people that Jesus of Nazareth could have gone to go get baptized by, he went to John the Baptist. By the way, do not miss the fact that John was called a Baptist. If John was called a Methodist, every Methodist in town would claim John as the forefather of their faith. If he was called John the Catholic, every Catholic in town would call John the Catholic the forefather of their faith. Listen, Baptist is more than a, a word on our sign. Baptist is a Bible word that carries with it Bible doctrine. If you, listen, I am not a Baptist by accident. I was born and raised a Catholic. But understand something, I will live and die a Baptist. This book right here is the most Baptist book you'll ever read. It's the most anti-Catholic book you'll ever read. Amen. You might not like that, but, but you study the doctrines of what the Baptists believe. If you don't know your Baptist distinctives, I would, I would genuinely, sincerely, I'd encourage you to learn them. They're unlike any other faith. John was a Baptist on, on purpose. Jesus of Nazareth, don't miss this, he, when he needed to get baptized, he went to a Baptist preacher. Now, that's not popular, but that's the truth. How great was John the Baptist? Go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at how great John the Baptist really was. There's two, two, two statements he makes I'm going to get to in just a little bit, but I just, want, I just want you to see a couple of examples of how great John really was. John, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter number 16. This is the story of when Jesus came in and asked his apostles, hey, who do people say that I am? And they said, who do you say that I am? And so I want you to see in their response something about both Jesus and John the Baptist. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want you to understand when, when Jesus asked this question about the common people, he said, Who do men say that I am? Who do the average people say that I am? Who do the people on the street say that I am? Who do your neighbors say that I am? That's the group that he's asking about. He turns to his disciples in a moment, but initially he's just asking, hey, what is the general consensus out there about who I am? And the first person that they identified with Jesus Christ was John the Baptist. That doesn't just mean that Jesus preached like John the Baptist, although he did. That means that the things that Jesus did in that day were so great 
that the next best person that they could compare him to was John the Baptist. That's how great John the Baptist was, was that the average common person in that day said, man, that's got to be John the Baptist. Nobody else does things like that. And, and then he answered, he followed, they, the uh, disciples follow up with Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Elias or one of the prophets. And so this tells you that John the Baptist, like Christ, was an unbelievably godly preacher. This tells you that John the Baptist, like Christ, was unbelievably humble. He was filled with grace. He was unbelievably clear when he preached. John likely wouldn't have been as mean as we maybe think that he was. He was just clear. And so Peter, along with John, who knew Jesus better than anyone else, said, man, people say that you're John the Baptist. Jesus said, who do you think that I am? And, and Peter said, you're God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What Peter was basically saying is that the only person that could be, the only person that could be better than the group of those prophets, John the Baptist, Elias, and Jeremiah, the only person that could be greater is God. And so just below that, in the mind of the average folk, John the Baptist was, was that good. In fact, it's interesting. Go over to Luke chapter 6. I want you to see this. When Herod executed John the Baptist, King Herod was uh, the king of that day, and he and his hussy wife had John executed, and uh, he, he, he had uh, John uh, beheaded in prison. And we'll just see this in, uh, I'm in Luke. Did I tell you to go to Mark? Uh, go to Mark. Go to Mark chapter 6. When Herod had John executed, I want you to see this. When Herod began to hear about the works of Jesus, notice what Herod said. This, is, this tells you how great John was. In verse 14 of, of, of Mark chapter 6, the Bible, when Herod heard about Christ, the Bible says in verse 14, and King Herod heard of him, that's heard of Jesus, for his name was spread abroad, and he, that's King Herod, said, well, John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works who show, themselves for, for, show, them, show forth themselves in him. And others said that it was Elias or uh, Others said that it is the prophet or one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He has risen from the dead. Think about this. It was easier for Herod to believe that a dead man rose from the grave than to believe that somebody greater than John the Baptist was on the scene. That is how great John the Baptist was. It didn't even enter Herod's mind that somebody greater than Herod could ever, I'm sorry, anybody greater than John the Baptist could ever show up. That is how great John was. Now let's look at two statements that John said that absolutely separate him from us in our best day. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter number 11. This is just before Herod executed John. John is in prison. He's in a jail cell. And John is discouraged. John is possibly depressed. John oftentimes is compared to Elijah in the Bible. Well, if you know anything about Elijah, Elijah was a mountain of a man. He was an exceptional man. He was one of the greatest men to have ever lived. But Elijah had times where his mind got the best of him. And this is one of those times where John's mind has gotten the best of him. But John does something that none of us, well, John does something that few of us decide to do. John, instead of going to his neighbor or somebody to gossip with, he goes directly to the Lord. 
Notice what happens in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 2. It says, now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, so he had gotten word, he was sitting in prison, he had gotten word that this person that he identified as the Lamb of God, uh, he had gotten word that Jesus Christ was doing all these things. When he had heard of the works of Christ, he, that's John, sent two of his disciples. So John still had disciples at this point. In verse 2, he sent two of his disciples to go find Christ. And notice what the Bible says in verse 4. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3. Uh, and he said unto, uh, I'm sorry, and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And I'm going to finish this passage. We're going to go back to verse 3. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, John began to say unto the multitudes, I'm sorry, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this, talking about John, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The, the coming kingdom of heaven, which today resides in us, uh, one day the kingdom of heaven will be a literal kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ. But notice what Jesus says about John in verse 11. He says, verily I say unto you. Understand, the word verily doesn't technically need to be there, right? The verse would make sense without that word. And so Jesus puts that word in statements where he's trying to make an extra emphasis. For instance, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That word verily, that, that's an important word. Jesus is saying, hey, listen to me, listen to me. I'm about to say something about John. Jesus says, verily, I say unto you. Now, that's funny. Why does he say, I say unto you? He's obviously talking. He is giving authority as God in the flesh on what he is about to say. This is not a, a mom who sees through mom goggles about her boy, John. This is not a dad who sees through dad goggles about his boy. This is not one of John's disciples that's about to make this statement. This is God in the flesh about to make a statement about, about John the Baptist. And he says in verse 11, verily I say unto you, with authority, Jesus is speaking, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. I mean, think about that. What a statement. What an incredible statement. Now, we can debate about the phrase born of women versus born of God, and that's not really my thought for tonight. My thought is simply how great, even from the lips of the Savior, John the Baptist really was. Amen. Look at the statement. Look at the question that John asks in verse 3. In verse 3, John asks a question that I think I'm safe to say would never come out of your mouth or mine. John is in prison. He is awaiting execution. In his own mind, he is rotting away, waiting for a death sentence to then just be executed. He has the opportunity to go ask one question to God in the flesh. If that was you, if you were in that prison cell, you were there with the minimal length of time left to live. You were in that prison cell and you knew that death was right, on, right around the corner. And you could ask Jesus one question. What would your question be? 
would probably be the same as my question. Hey, can you help me? Can you get me out of here? Can you make sure any family is taken care of? Lord, don't forget about me. That would be some form of our question if we were in the same exact situation as John. But this is an example of why John is so great. Notice John's question in verse 3. He said, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? By the way, John knew that it was Jesus that should come. John baptized him. John was there when the heavens opened and the uh, Holy Spirit descended like a dove. And John was there when he heard the Father's voice. John knew that it was the Messiah. But John was discouraged right here. John was possibly depressed right here. John was struggling in some point at his life right here. And even in John's lowest point, he doesn't go to the Savior and say, hey, don't forget about me. He doesn't go to the Savior when he's hurting and say, uh, remember me and my family, help get me out of here. He doesn't do any of that. He simply goes to Jesus in verse, four, uh, verse 3 and he says, art thou he that should come? You know what John was saying? John was saying, hey, Lord, are, are you the Savior still? Are you him? Because if you're him, then you know exactly where I'm at right now. John is saying, listen, are you the Savior? Because if you're the one that I baptized, then I know that you're God. And if you're God, then you know exactly how to help me right now. John is saying, hey, art thou him? Or uh, are, 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 you the, are, are he that should come? Or do we look for another? John is basically saying, are you the Savior? Are you the one that I identified as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? Because if you are, then you have everything under complete control. John is saying to Jesus, are you the Savior? Because if you're him then I'll trust whatever you have for me. That is what John is really saying when he says, art thou he that should come? Art thou he that should come? Are you really the Savior? Because if you are, I'll take my hands off the steering wheel of my life and I would just trust that I am exactly where I need to be. But he doesn't end his question there. He says in verse three, art, art thou he that should come? Watch this. Or do we look for another? Another what? Well, in context, it's another Savior, another Messiah. John's question is, hey, are, are, are you he that should come or do we look for another? Well, certainly John's not looking for another Messiah. Because if John knew that Christ was him, then he would never look for another Messiah. But you know, that's exactly what people do today. They look at Christ through the scriptures. They look at how Christ has handled them in their lives. And they don't like how Christ has handled them. So do you know what they do? They leave church and they go looking for another. They're looking for something else to fulfill their lives, not recognizing that the Savior of the Scriptures, Jesus Christ himself, is the one that can fulfill their lives. John says, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? So many people, they look for another Savior. They look for another something in drugs or in alcohol or, or in immorality or another spouse or some way, shape, or form. They go looking for another Savior, not knowing that the Savior that is right in front of them will give them exactly what they really need. He's not going to give them what they want. He's going to give them what they really need. And John knew that which is why John didn't ask for help. John simply said, are you him or should we look for another? Because if you're him, I'm going to stop looking for another. Listen, if you found Jesus Christ, there is no other. There was no other Savior. There was no other Messiah. There was no other thing that will satisfy the true need of your heart like Christ will. Just yesterday, I found out about a missionary who had been faithful for years. Three children left his wife, committed adultery with another woman in the church, 
filed for divorce. What was he doing? He was looking for another. He wasn't satisfied where God had placed him. He wasn't satisfied with the uh, lot in life that God had chosen for him. And he got his eyes off the Savior, and he wondered, hey, what about me? And he went, and he looked for another. Not John. John said, hey, if you're him, I will be happy right where I am. I will stay in this jail cell because in this jail cell, I am in the exact center of God's will, and I will not die one moment before I'm supposed to. That's John's view. See, this one question exposes the greatness of John the Baptist. Are you he that should come? Listen, John was still just a man, but he was so completely dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ that all he really needed was assurance. All he really needed was for Christ to just assure him. He was discouraged. He was depressed. Notice Jesus does just that in verse 4. He says, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. John had seen them, which is why Jesus said, hey, do this again. Jesus didn't rip him. Jesus didn't criticize him. He didn't, Jesus didn't roll his eyes at John. Jesus didn't say, oh, good night, John, again, again with this. No. He says, you know what, John's hurting. Just go show John again all the things that you've seen. And then instead of criticizing them, him, Jesus takes the time to literally tell you that he's the greatest born among women. Second statement that he has to say for us in John chapter 3. Go over to John chapter 3 and we'll finish with this. John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. Jesus at this point has already been baptized. He has already been identified as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is already collecting disciples. He's got uh, at least a handful of them by this point. And John the Baptist is speaking of Christ. And it's in one of these statements that you see the greatness of John. In this statement, this was not at the beginning of, a, uh, uh, of an exciting, successful ministry. This statement was given at the end of a very difficult and likely very short ministry. This was when, when the Lord was effectively done with John. John had come to this world to be the messenger, the forerunner of Christ. And John's ministry was effectively coming to an end. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse number 24, and John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. So John's ministry wasn't over yet. He still had disciples in verse 25. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be giving him, given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am come to sent, I am come, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sent before him. So there's his ministry right there, verse 28, the forerunner of Christ. Verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. By the way, the, the friend there in verse 29, that's John the Baptist. He's the friend of the bridegroom. And notice John's statement. In verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You see, this is a statement that we like in theory. This is a statement that we like in idea. The problem is that when it comes to our day-to-day -day lives, the problem is that when we get up in the morning and we go throughout our day and we go to bed at night, we really struggle to Im implement this type of humility. This type of humility is not seen in very many people. By the way, 
I'm not standing up here acting like I have an A in this verse. I'm standing up here as a preacher of the gospel that says I recognize this verse and I'm, I, I tried my best every single day. But John was such a man when he said in verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is at the end of his ministry. This is the, at the end of a difficult ministry. Before he was cast into prison, his life was actually going to get uh, much worse. And he still said, I must, uh, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, when he says about Christ that Christ must increase, this is not in stature or body or in wisdom. This is rather in ministry and in honor. John is saying he, he must increase. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever consider the fact that Jesus Christ must increase over you in your life? Do you ever consider that? In the forefront of John's mind, see what made John so great? In the forefront of John's mind was this understanding that Jesus Christ must increase above all that John would do. This is at the end of a difficult ministry. And John is still saying he must increase. His ministry must increase. His honor must increase. His glory must increase. But he doesn't stop there. Because John doesn't want John to increase and Jesus to increase. John understands there's not room on the throne of John's life for two people. And so he doesn't stop with he must increase. He continues, verse 30, but I must decrease. How well do you do at humbling yourself before the Lord? Did you know that Christ will save you? He, he has done everything that he can for you. But Jesus Christ, it is not his job to humble you. Amen. The Bible says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of the Lord. Right. Did you know that it is actually your job to humble yourself? It is a daily exercise to go through life, to go through your day multiple times a day if need be, and literally say to yourself and to the Lord, Lord, I humble myself before you. I humble my heart before you. Forgive me of that arrogant thought. Forgive me of that lustful thought. Forgive me of that greedy thought. I humble myself before you. John the Baptist was so great because in the forefront of his mind, he knew that Christ should increase, but that he, John, should decrease. The greatest man born among women, John the Baptist, in just a few phrases, we see the vast difference between his thinking and our thinking. Jesus Christ must increase. I must decrease. He put effort into this, John did. Listen, somebody has to go up and somebody has to go down. And God will not play rival God to anyone. He won't play it to you or to Baal, or to anyone else. And so John's role as the forerunner of Christ was coming to an end, and in the end of his ministry, John still understood, Jesus Christ must increase, but I must decrease. We get this in, 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 in practical thinking, but when it comes to practical day-to-day -day living, well, we really struggled to execute this like John did. So how are you doing tonight? You and I, we're not going to be John the Baptist. We're not. We're not going to be as great as John the Baptist. But I think that there are some things that we could look at in John's life. His humility compared to our pride, the way he looks at his situations in life versus the way that we look at ours. Hey, are you the Savior or should we look for another? Hey, he must increase, but I must decrease. So I don't know where this thought finds you. I would just encourage you, look into your own heart. You consider how how 
difficult it is to walk day to day in true humility. Because if you think it's an easy thing to do, you're probably not trying as hard as you might think you should. It is a difficult thing to daily to defeat and to kill that old man that lives inside of you. I want to be Job, but I'm usually one of his friends. I want to be Isaac, but man, Esau comes out a whole lot. And John the Baptist was one of the great men who truly understood Christ's role in his life and in the world and John's role in his life and in the world. Brother Wally. 